This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Many of you listening to us today have gone through at least, probably, I don't know, five to ten performance reviews in your lifetime. Many of us, me included, having gone through an annual review just earlier this week, understand that they are a part of a lot of corporate strategies. Mine, as we said, came uh, earlier this week. Wharton's Peter Capelli taking a longer look at performance appraisals in a new paper he has put together along with Martin Conyon of Lancaster University as to exactly what performance appraisals do. Peter, the author of several books, Why Good People Can't Get Jobs, and his latest book, Will College Pay Off? And you also hear him every Thursday from 5 to 7 along with Dan O'Mara, his co-host of In the Workplace. And Peter joins us right now. Good to see you. Thank you. Great to have you. Uh, is the performance appraisal as important now as it was, I don't know, say 20 years ago? Uh, well, it's more important in the sense that more people have to do it. Okay. Right? So if you look around uh, the U.S., yeah, there haven't been an awful lot of recent studies, but the last ones that were done, it's like 90 plus 3%, 5%, something like that, percent of the workforce has to has a performance appraisal done for them. Yep. And basically, if you're not in a union where they tend not to get them, because collective bargaining agreements cover this stuff, yeah. uh, you got a performance appraisal. The federal government mandates it for employees. You know, State governments do it. The U.S. Army does it. The Navy does it. Yeah. And I think the big change has been when you leave the U.S., Everybody's doing it now, right? So it used to huh. be a kind of a U.S. thing, but you see them all around the world. So what was the shift then that other countries started to, to jump on board? Are they seeing a level of importance to this that, that they wanted to bring to their business strategy? Well, I think uh, some of it is uh, just the increasing paying attention to the workforce and okay. recognizing, I think, as they learn more about management, that managing your employees is a smart thing to do. And you're crazy if you don't, right? right given how important they are to the organization. Sure. And a lot of uh, companies outside the U.S. just copy what they think are best practices in the U.S. Even if they're not sure why they're doing it, they just right. copy them, right? So um, so I think that's why it spread uh, around the world and kind of continues to spread. So you see it, you know, all through India and China. And uh, I don't think there's many countries unless you get to the countries like in the Middle East, which still have Soviet era labor and employment laws. Right. Uh, well, you probably don't see them very often there, but but otherwise, all over. So uh, the, the work that you did here with uh, with Martin uh, and this paper, exactly what is it that, that you were trying to, I guess, bring together a lot of different information on from a variety of different sources that, that basically included the term appraisal in them? Uh, well, uh, one quick thing about my colleague Martin. He's now, his paper's been kicking around for a while. Yeah. Um, he's, he's now at Bentley College in oh, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So we need, yeah. didn't update that on the paper. Uh, but here's the thing about performance appraisals. You know, it is uh, ubiquitous. There's probably nothing in the field of management which is more common. Uh, that is that everybody does it. Sure. Right? Uh, and there's also almost no practice in the world of business that people hate more. Right? <laughs> yeah. And the evidence on this is pretty overwhelming that everybody hates it, right? 
and yet uh, everybody does it. Um, it's also surprising how little we actually know about it. Right? Yeah. So uh, there's an awful lot that's been done by psychologists on little slices of the performance appraisal question. So, for example, uh, mainly what psychologists are interested in is how do the person rating and the person being rated mm -hmm. get along, right? And how do the characteristics of the rater and the ratee affect the results? And one of the things that we know from this is one of the best predictors of your score is, you might call it bias, right? Huh. And that is how you and your appraiser map onto each other. Are you similar? You get higher scores. Right. Are you different? And the more different you are in terms of ethnicity or age or sex or whatever, you know, the less you're going to, less well you're going to do. So that's one of the things we know. But how do they actually work inside companies is quite remarkably, uh, almost nobody has looked at this. So what we did is we got data from uh, a large company, a Fortune 50 or maybe Fortune 20 company now, on all their performance appraisals over about a 10-year period. Uh -huh. And we can see uh, how they work. And so here's a couple of the questions that we were after. Uh, one of them is, there's a kind of view in a lot of places and among a lot of executives that this is like a contract, that employment's like sure. a contract, right? Yep, yep. The beginning of the year, you set goals. That's a very common thing, right? Yep. And then we assess how well you've done. At the end of the year, we give you a pay increase based on how much you have achieved of your goals and how well you've done, maybe compared to everybody else sure. in some places. Yeah. Right? So it's like a contract. Uh, but there's another view that it is not like a contract, that it's really kind of a relationship. And if you think about employment, uh, you don't really have a contract with your boss. You know, At the beginning of the year, right. you set some goals, but the boss is telling you to do different things all the time. Sure. And based on what they're hearing from their bosses, she decides, well, we're going to go this way or that way. And your circumstances are unpredictable too, right? So it could be we've got this goal, but then business collapses and we change the goal. Or even if you got the same goal, we have to adjust the target. Right. Sure. So there's all kinds of stuff that's in play. So it's not really a contract. It's kind of a relationship. Right. So one of the questions that we wanted to look at was, you know, to what extent is performance appraisals uh, a contract? That is, it's sort of just explicitly, um, how did you do? And then we're going to reward you based on that. Right. And to what extent is it a relationship where we kind of use it to encourage you and all kinds of stuff like that? Uh, the other thing we wanted to see were just some basic things. There are some people who claim that it really doesn't drive very much about your outcomes. You know, merit pay is based on something else, really. Sure. You know, yep. it's like your bias or it's about how the company's doing or, you know. And that if you get cozy with your supervisor, you get good appraisals. And sure. if you don't, yep. uh, then you get bad ones. But here's maybe the biggest thing, which we weren't so interested in academically when we started this, but it practically really important. And here's the question, right? Are people who perform well, do they always perform well? And people who <laughs> perform poorly, do they always perform poorly? Right? <laughs> and the reason this matters is because there is a very prominent theory in, in the practice of management, not in the academic world, but in the practice. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that Jack Welsh made famous, uh, the A player, B player, C player model. Mm -hmm. And the folks at McKinsey with the War for Talent thing were making a similar case, you know, that really there are really good executives and then they're really kind of lousy ones. Sure. And the big thing you want to do if you believe that is you want to hire the good ones and get rid of the bad ones. Yeah. 
And if that's the story, then uh, management's kind of simple, right? You just hire the good people and you screen them and see how they do. And if they do bad, out they go. So one of the questions that we could answer, and as far as we can tell, no one has ever looked at this before, at (laughs) least uh, in a public – and published it anyway, is are the people who do well – uh, always doing well or not. So here's the question, and, and if you're uh, folks who are listening, you can take your own private bet on the answer to this. So if we know your scores this year for everybody in the company, how much of next year's score could we predict, right? Sure. And that means, or explain. So that means um, if it's, you're always good, the good people are always good, and the bad people are always bad, we can explain 100% of your scores because sure. next year's score will be identical to this year's Sure, score. yeah. If it's random, <clears throat> right, which would be kind of astonishing, then it would be zero. There'd be no relationship between how people on average perform this year and how they perform next year. The good people could be good. The bad people could be good or bad, you know, be random. But you would think that there that, that would be something that would follow a pattern. Like if you're good in 2014, yeah. okay. most likely, unless yeah. something has yeah. drastically changed, you're going to be pretty good in 2015 as well. Right. So here's the question, and uh, folks at home, you can play along on this. Or call in. Or call in. Call in, right. 844-942-7866. Is there a prize? We got a prize. We might that. find one. Maybe a Wharton t-shirt somewhere along the line. <laughs> or we'll give you a copy of the paper. How's or we'll that? give you a copy of the paper. And yeah. second place, you get two copies. There you go. Right? Exactly. So here's the question. Is it between zero? It's between zero and 100%. Right? So it's not zero. It's yeah. not 100%. Yeah. Where do you think it is? Uh, and if you think uh, this A player, B player, C player model is right, it's going to be closer to 100. And yeah. if you think it's uh, it's all just random or it's kind of noise, you know, or people vary a lot, you know, it, you're closer to zero, right? So that's the question. I, I'm going to say that it would probably be closer to like 70 or 75. Mm, yeah, it's a very common answer. Uh, and I would say people in human resources guess uh, 80%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want to let the tension build here? Or you want me to just no, tell you the answer? No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, 27%. Really? Yeah, so it's way closer to zero than it is to 100%. That's a, why yeah. why so much lower? Because I would think that yeah. it, it would be almost an automatic that it would be on the higher end. Right, and everybody se- or many people seem to, to believe that, especially people in human resources. But uh, I, then I ask them the following question. Have you ever actually looked at it? And the answer they is... probably know. No, they've never looked yeah, at it. exactly. They, they just assume it's that way. And partly maybe they assume it's that way because that's what you hear from the A player, B player, C player kind hmm. of story, you know? And you could see some of this is a cognitive bias maybe. So there's something in psychology known as the fundamental attribution error, which okay. is a great title, right? To be the fundamental <laughs> attribution error, right? Uh, and what it means is when you are seeing somebody behave a particular way... We are inclined to assume it is because of who they are rather than the circumstances, rather than where they are, right? So right. the classic example, you know, somebody is racing by you on the expressway going home and they're driving on the shoulder and whipping past. <laughs> uh, your inclination is to say, that guy's a jerk, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, rather than to say, to even entertain the idea that maybe it's an emergency. Right, right? exactly. Yep. Maybe it's circumstance, yep. right? Uh, and so we're, we seem to be wired to think it's everything's due to the person. And if you believe that, then you would be inclined to think that the A player, B player, C player model is right. Right. right? Uh, and that good players this year are going to be good players next year, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and the other thing we looked at on this was to see whether 
it actually changed. Your appraisal scores changed a lot when you got a new supervisor, right? Because that's the other okay. view you get is that, you know, you get comfy with a particular supervisor. Sure, yeah. And then your scores are always sort of the same. And, you know, you get a new supervisor, and this is what they used to say at GE, they can really sort out whether you're good or bad. Well, we didn't see that either, uh, that when you change supervisor, you didn't see that either. It is interesting when, when you have a, a shift to supervisor because I can see that happening on both sides. Either you have a supervisor that you just don't get along with yep. right from the get-go and your performance appraisal would be lower, and, but it could be the same if, if you get along with somebody. So you're again, yeah. you're mm -hmm. you're working at the mm -hmm. outside parts mm -hmm. uh, of the of both ends of this question. Yeah. And, you know, I think this was our view on this is, well, gee, somebody ought to look at this. Yeah. Right? We didn't go in with a prior saying, gosh, this is silly to think that it's uh, all disposition, or yeah. and boy, it's almost all random. We had no idea what we we're going to find, and in fact, we were looking at that uh, really only as a way to get set to test the real things we thought were going to be interesting, which was, you know, is it uh, really more like a contract or not, right? So that's, but that tends to be the big aha for people, is that it turns out there's a lot of variation in how people perform, yeah. uh, same person over time, and one of the things that that calls into question were these. You know, uh, what do they call them? You know, the, the forced ranking systems, where they call them rank and yank or okay. whack, <laughs> rack and rack and whack or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, where GE used to do, where they, uh, you know, they would force out the bottom 10%, right? right? Because they believed it was the A play, B player, C player model. So if, if your company's doing that, boy, I would think you might want to actually look to see whether it's true that your, uh, your bottom 10% this year are the same as your bottom 10% next year. The problem is if you keep firing your bottom 10%, you're never going to know, right? Right, because, exactly. Because you'll never know what those guys would have done. But you could at least look at the appraisal scores for everybody else and see, you know, whether they remain constant over time. If they're bouncing around a lot, it is insane to fire the bottom 10%, right? Because there's no reason to think those guys are going to be bad next year. It right? is It is. Kind of that then that fiftieth percentile in, in this in this belief is that kind of the the, the perfect area the, the the kind of the you know the cloud nine. Well, I don't know if there's a, a, a uh, what is good or bad out of this. Uh, I think if you believe management matters, you right. would like to think that uh, it's not a perfect correlation, right? Um, you'd like to think that the numbers are a little lower because you could shape it. Right, and you could sure. take the same person and, with a different manager, a different context, they could perform differently, better or worse. Right, right? Um, and so I think it, it, it's encouraging to management as a field that the numbers are the the relationship is lower. Right, it's kind of encouraging in that sense. Yeah, um, but you know it makes it harder for uh, people running businesses and employers generally. Right. But because the, now it's not just picking the good people and then get out of their way. But, but performance appraisals in general, just as a, as an idea, as a concept, yeah. ha have seemingly taken on more importance in general in the last 20, 30 years anyway, because the elements of psychology now are, are factored in to business so much. I mean, companies want to know what their employees are thinking more so than, than mm. ever before. Well, you know, I, I think, uh, honestly, there was a high watermark of that stuff, which was about 40 years ago. Or okay. so. so, for example, about 40 years or so ago, uh, AT&T had a team of about 15 people through 1980 who just tinkered with the performance appraisal form every year. <laughs> 15 psychologists. How it's written. Exactly. Question order. Absolutely. Yeah. All that little stuff. Yeah. Right? 
And uh, in the 1960s, performance appraisals were so thorough that you were assessed on the appraisals you gave your subordinates. So they would read your appraisals, and if you yeah. didn't do a good job, yeah. it affected your appraisal. Yeah. And they'd also see how your subordinates did years later. They would follow up the the class that's leaving Dan uh, to go work someplace else of 2016, and yeah. they would see how well those folks did. And if they did better in their careers, that affected your own appraisal, right? So they used to take this stuff way more seriously, right? Um, and uh, we don't. So uh, it's anymore. so. Is it been pared down then because of of what factors? Uh, well, I think there's a, a couple. Uh, one, is, uh, there are three. And uh, the first one is that we've given supervisors a ton of other stuff to do. So okay. it used to be your job was to supervise these these people. Right. And that was it. That was your job. Yeah. Uh, and now you're an individual contributor and you're supervising these folks. The right. second thing that's happened is the span of control has increased. And that means the number of people reporting to you, right? Sure. So it used to be there was a rule of six or seven, depending who was issuing the rule, that that was the most people you ought to supervise. Right. And now, you know, it's up in the 20s in lots of places, right? Mm. And if you're trying to follow 20 employees and pay attention to what they're doing yeah. and be an individual contributor, yeah. it's almost impossible, right, to, to pay much attention to them. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to jump in and ask a question. We're joined by uh, Peter Capelli of the Wharton School talking about his research on performance appraisals. Chris is in Houston. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Peter. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, I am interested in your analysis and taking a look at the uh, performance appraisals, taking a look at individuals involved with sales and metrics of sales and yeah. how they performed. Was that included in your results? Do you have a separate analysis of that independently of the group of a whole? How did that work? Uh, so, so you're asking maybe just more specifically, if you looked at people who have uh, whose performance could be measured objectively, right? And yes. and then you wanted to see what whether they performed um, at, at a higher level on a consistent basis, or you felt like there was still that randomization. Oh well, yeah. These uh, the folks we were looking at too were were people. Uh, this is uh, this was in a retail uh, organization, and we could see the store managers, and they were assessed. They had ten attributes that they were assessed on, and I think six of them were actually hard numbers, financial performance, like store sales, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So they were they were objective numbers, and, um, and you know, the performance bounced around a lot. Versus the management style of the individual and repeating well, that? Well, we couldn't, we couldn't look, uh, this was pretty high-level data, so we couldn't, you know, we couldn't tell who the manager was and go in and interview that manager. Yeah. Uh, but as you'd imagine, there were, you know, hundreds of managers, right? So it would have sure. been pretty hard to do. So we th we couldn't do any we couldn't do any of that fancy stuff like that. Although I imagine other people have done something like that. Uh, and I again as we were saying before, uh, the best predictors seem to be things which <laughs> which have more to do with bias than they have to do with good management practice. Although you would sure think that good management practice ought to matter. It's just a little hard to measure in a study, you know. I appreciate you giving me that, that, uh, that analysis. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Thank you, Chris. Thanks very much for the call. You mentioned something which is interesting uh, that, to bring up, is that the performance appraisal, too, with the boss that is doing the, uh, the conversation with the employee as to how well they did, you know, whether they're going to get a pay increase, something like that, you also have, in certain situations, the boss asking questions of the employee, how did I do? 
How you know oh. what kind what kind of job mm. did I do uh-huh. over the course of the year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some of that. You know, the 360 feedback is the formal way in which that gets done, where right. you ask people all the way around you, how do you think uh, I did as a boss? Right. Uh, and, and that has not had a terrific track, track record, to be honest. Right. Um, and there's a, partly because there's a lot of venting going on. Sure. You know? Yeah. If you're a subordinate, it's hard to be objective about your <laughs> boss. Uh, and it's hard always to like your boss. Right. Anyway, let me tell you the punchline of what we found on the academic side. Yes. And that is things don't look very much like a contract. Uh, and yeah. that supervisors in particular, they tend to reward people for improvements as well as the level of performance. Sure. So if you're doing better this year than last year, it's not like a straight up, you did well, you get this much. Right. Um, and uh, they also, much to the counter to the prevailing view, they over reward high performers. So it's not like a linear relationship, right? Sure, uh, right. If you're a poor performer, they really do whack your your merit pay increases. Right. And if you're a better performer, they really do load them up. And that uh, and that increases that separation between the upper end and the lower end in the in the in the course of of the job. Yeah, within job, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and it it is true that as you move up the organization, the average scores increase. Now, why is that? Well, there's two explanations, right? Yeah. One is that Yourself, you're selecting better people if it's promotion from within. Right. So it's not surprising even if you had an absolute standard that the scores would go up. And is it bias that, uh, you know, once you get near the top, you know, they say that CEOs always give their personal assistants the top score. Sure, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe that's going down too. We can't sort that out. Peter will be on uh, later today here on Sirius XM 111, 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, you told me earlier you're going to be talking a little bit about the, the new overtime rules, correct? Yeah, it's a big story. I mean, it's a really big story. So the new change, the Obama administration can do this uh, with some advice and consent, but sort of unilaterally. It's not legislation. They updated the Fair Labor Standards Act, which required you to pay people overtime um, if you were an exempt employee or if you were not exempt, which means you're sort of a supervisor or manager, uh, and you made less than a certain level of income. And that just had never been increased. Right. Over time. So inflation had eroded, 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 eroded it. Um, So it was down to about 22,000. They just doubled that figure. So some estimates are 35 percent of the workforce will now be eligible for overtime, which is a huge change. That'll be tonight, 5 to 7 p.m. here on Sirius XM 111. Good to see you, Peter. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Great to have you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 